someone else has already said it best. This is the best, the best of it. The best ones aren't as good as you probably think they are. What is best in life? I did the best I could. Doing my best. 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 You know, you can be all the things you always wanted to be. Beautiful. Sexy. Easiest one, two, three. Just let your soul go. Just let it shine through. Just let your soul, baby, feel it all so silky smooth. Just let it shine through. Just let your Yes, yes, yes. Hello and welcome. We hope your soul is glowing. <laughs> Fucking saxophone. <like. laughs> Hello and welcome to Best of the Best podcast uh, with me, Connor Keys. Alongside me is uh, Ronan Mullen. Yes. And we have a very special guest today, all the way from Dublin via Hunter's Crescent, Mr. Colin Cairns. Hello, Internet. <laughs> You're very welcome. Yes, this is, a, this is a rare treat. You're only our second guest. I've seen that. Yeah. We Not went. as famous as the first one, but... No, maybe in, maybe in an hour's time. More infamous, yeah. Than, yeah. Than <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can all agree on that. Yeah. Uh, so yes, you're very welcome. So when, when, when we you. decided to to do this uh, to do this uh, masterpiece, there was only one person's. Yeah. Came to we mind. Did, well, this was this was this one was put up as quick as our other most notorious that we haven't done the Sopranos. Yes, this was as one of the first ones that yeah. we thought about. It was definitely going to be happening, and uh, so yes. Um, we called him Mr. Cairns now. I can't even call him. I'm going to call you Bondi from now on. Because that's, that's okay. Yeah. Do you mean this was on the original list or it yeah, was on? Yeah, the original yeah. list. Uh, automatically coming to America was going to be um, going to be one of the, okay. the top ten. Uh, so, yes, and, and we, should, we don't mean top ten, but just the first ten that we It chose. was the first ten, of which yeah. about six we haven't touched yet. No, so we uh, so yes, you're very welcome, and uh, we're going to call you Bondi. Now that's not in re- reference to Ted Bundy. We should point out, yeah. even though we do tell people that now we're writing about. <laughs> Why is he called Bondi? Because he's a bit of a creep, like that Ted, Ted Bundy. Bundy boy from the Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, neither the Netflix <laughs> no, generation know who Ted Bundy is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so no, it's based on uh, the Al Bundy from Married with Children, um, who always scratched his balls, and uh, Bundy did the same. I thought it was the extreme level of sarcasm, but ah, we'll okay. go with the ball scratching. <laughs> balls. Balls make more sense. Go straight to balls every time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's get balls out on this one. Oh, so coming to America, just where do you start? Start from the beginning. Uh, if you have not seen it, um, please do go and watch. Um, one of the greatest comedies of the 80s, maybe even of all time, in our opinion, because this is what this is, our opinion. Uh, well, we had a conversation in the hallway. Uh-huh. And I sort of, I know where it's coming from. It's not, it sits in our heads way higher than it actually is. Absolutely. That's the but point that's the yeah. point. Yeah. Um, and we're here to explain why. We, we're here to explain why, but we have a long history of this film. <laughs> and we'll get into that in a bit. <laughs> yeah, there might be a lot of retelling of, uh, yeah. of yeah. escapades. There's a bit of a theme with like... Uh, topics that have been covered movies and stuff where we were all quite young yeah. even me being yeah, four yeah, or five years older than you two like yeah. this is very much a lot of the stuff the movies that you've talked about so far and certainly this one 
it comes from rented sort of videos. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of 80s, 90s stuff. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure we're, we got this off the infamous Donal sheep. Oh, Donal, I can round them the video round. Um, I yeah. think that was my first viewing, so, yeah. Um, so, Eddie Murphy um, is in this. Eddie Murphy's in this a lot. Uh, but Eddie Murphy plays Akeem, mm -hmm. who is an African prince, and... Uh, does not want to go down to the, the normal route of arranged marriages, etc., and goes for uh, to find a queen in Queens in New York. So, uh, again, we should highlight this is the 80s. So this is 80s New York. This is not modern-day New York and everything's all nice and no. <laughs> lovely. This is Queens in the 80s, which was a fucking shithole. And they don't shy away from showing it that way. No, and they really do. In fact, maybe even make it look worse than it actually was, maybe. Hmm? Uh, yeah, certainly when it's contrasted to the opening ten minutes, oh yeah, yeah. which is completely over the top, sort of luxurious, <laughs> yeah, you know the, the palace and the, yeah, yeah, the orchestra waking him up and stuff, and <laughs> the royal know. penis is clean. Your yeah, hands. <laughs> so I think, and I think that in itself was a bit of an in joke. I think he was getting a bit of flack at the time for his extravagant lifestyle and his yeah. partying and stuff. So I think he was poking a bit of fun at that as well. And the but, fucking leather suits. But going straight from that to the neighborhood in Queens mm -hmm. that they pull up in is like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Uh, so yes, Akeem is uh, played by Eddie Murphy, and alongside him is Arsenio Hall, um, who plays um, Simi. Simi, and uh, the two of them go to Queens together. Then too, so they want to hide the wealth. So basically, he wants to try and find a wife who loves him for him and not the money. And uh, yeah, that leads him to wanting to live in squalor. Um, so we first talked. We just talked about before that we started about the the scene where he goes to look for the apartment. Mm -hmm. um, because he wants the shittiest of places that uh, exists. Um, you were saying about the, the scene when he first walks into the, and the guy falls down. Yeah, guy falls down the stairs, <laughs> which was drunk. the first instance I ever saw on TV of swearing being edited. Right. Okay. Oh yeah. Where the guy says, uh, he, he says something. About, Are you conscious? It's something about him being a motherfucker, and then yeah. turned to mother flipper. Yeah, that really? was the first time I heard Mother Flipper. Right. I remember uh, an MF and one of the barbershop scenes being cut to Mama Jama. <laughs> <laughs> I remember Melon Thrower being used in a, in a lethal Melon weapon. Thrower? Melon Thrower. Instead of... Is that a motherfucker? I whatever Whoa. the... the, 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 the <laughs> That's a little bit... In, the, in this film? No, a lethal weapon, whatever it was. It had to fit in with the lip reading, whatever it is. So it was a yeah, Melon Thrower or Melon Fudge or something like that. Very, very strange. And who, uh, who was the one that was edited? Which actor was Riggs. said the light? Gibson. Riggs? Well, Gibson, yeah. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, I know. It's a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but that was ATV, so he didn't give a fuck. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Savile and all, man? He gives a fuck back, anyway. Uh, so, yes, I, I mean, it, it, there is an awful lot of swearing in this. Yeah. I would say it will probably come out close to an 18 or an R today if it came out. Yeah. But at the time, it came out as a 15. So, um, but yeah, the content. Because it's nothing too uh, sexual in it. It's mainly just part of the chocolate. There's no sex scenes, I suppose. Uh, yeah, there's nothing really dirty. It's just slagging each other or mm. angry. So there's a lot of a lot of swearing. Um, so and it was a a big film within the black culture as well because it's well, it's relatively all black cast, all, all black cast. You know, so it's and there's there, there, obviously there's a few crackers in it. Yeah, <laughs> only a few. That's actually like a huge point, and it's a something certainly I didn't fully realize on the first like 15 viewings because it's not in your face i think landis himself john landis the director um made the point that you know it's very much a black movie but it doesn't make a big deal about it 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it just, it's not preachy yeah. or in your face like maybe a Spike Lee movie would have been trying to make a same, the same sort of point. Yeah, there's no political message. Like, I mean, it wasn't showing um, black people as being downtrodden. Or, no, you know, of course. You know, the, Although there was some negative reaction to certain bits in it, like the you know, the the African scenes at the start and stuff. I think there was a bit of pushback about the right. the costumes and certain things and that. But um, like overall, uh, it's, it's pretty positive. But there's something... There's something very understated about it as well. Um, like Landis, I read an article where he said there was only three non-black speaking parts in the entire movie. I think there might be four. Right. But Louis Anderson, the the white guy in the that works in the restaurant, mm-hmm. um, he's the only one that has more than one line. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. like, and come back to Spike Lee. I think him and Eddie Murphy actually got into it a bit publicly regarding you know about coming to America. About no, about how to use your influence. Okay. And about Eddie Murphy. Being, you know, he said he said a quote one time of something like Eddie was more um, worried about getting the best table in some upmarket restaurant than he was about promoting opportunities for other black actors and stuff like. So I don't know whether that eventually hit home or not, but with coming to America, like as you said, it was an almost exclusively black cast. But the three or four movies that followed that mm. were, were the same. If you actually uh, think of, about it, of yeah. Murphy's, yeah, yeah, like Harlem Nights, yeah, yeah. Um, Vampire in Brooklyn, Boomerang, mm-hmm. like you say, there aren't too many yeah. crackers. If no, you no. Um, you went on so to life then when you go into the nineties and you went to life. Well, same thing. All but, of the movies that he like, obviously there's exceptions like Showtime and stuff he got involved in, but the movies where his fingerprints are over it, if you like, and the ones where he's playing multiple characters and stuff, there is a there is certainly a theme of yeah. He likes to dress up. Yeah, and I watched Dolomite last night actually, um, and again, you know. Yeah, pretty much exclusively black cast, more or less. Yeah, and and I mean that Landis has done some great, uh, great shows. So he was Animal House, you know, Lampoon, National Lampoon's Animal House. Yep, Blues uh, Brothers, Blues Brothers, Trading Places, Three Amigos, Trading Places. Yeah. yeah. So uh, after coming to America, I'm just looking. He, he 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 did come back with Eddie Murphy, but he came back with him for Beverly Hills Cop Three. Yeah, that's <laughs> actually it's a bit weird that because. They had a pretty public falling out. A massive falling out. During the making of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they worked together on Trading Places previously, and Eddie Murphy, that was a second picture. Like, So he was pretty much starting out. He's only 23 or 24, so uh, you know, I don't think the ego had completely gone to his head, but by the yeah, time coming to America came around, yeah, like, he publicly said that he, he threw Landis a bone by giving him that job as a kind of um, as a favour. Because the previous right. couple of movies that he'd done were hitting the skids. Yeah. And there was also a very high-profile legal case yeah, the, for the, the Twilight Zone. Yeah. There was a couple of child actors killed in a helicopter crash. And Vincent Morrow. Yeah. Vincent Morrow. Two, two kids and Vincent Morrow were killed on the set yeah. so that because was, of safety regulations that Landis uh, brushed to the side. And right, there was actually okay. a, a, two cinematographers in the helicopter that crashed who lived and said that they heard over uh, the loudspeaker uh, a safety coordinator say uh, the explosions are true. It was a Vietnamese scene, mm-hmm. uh, and it was filmed inside the hangar of the infamous seven mile radius in Hollywood, where you're allowed to film at any time, day or night, because it can't be heard or seen yeah. by pa- or locals. Mm-hmm. So they're filming at night. There's a lot of explosions going on. Helicopters, the whole shebang. And what happens is Landis shouts, "Fly lower!" And it's heard clearly by cinematographers. And by flying lower, the explosion shifts the back tail of a helicopter, which then drifts into the ground. And beheads two kids, and Vincent Morrow. So that was going on for years. Mm-hmm. Landis was fucking name was in the dirt, mm-hmm. and he couldn't get a hit. And everything he done was shit because that's a fucking huge thing to hang over anyone. But uh, what Murphy was referring to was he was throwing him a bone here because 
he got no work. Yeah. And he's never had a hit since. No, not uh, no. Yeah, and there's, like, there's so there's a bit of truth in it, definitely yeah, no, that absolutely. he was helping him out. But you know, the, from the fallout perspective, the fact that they subsequently worked again, you know, it can't have been that bad, I suppose. Um, if they went on to do Beverly Hills Cop Three, well, I don't know. Did you see Beverly Hills Cop Three? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair as well, he's he's Landis talks in a lot of documentaries about Murphy and Murphy about him. Mm. So I think they've pretty much buried that. What happened was Eddie Murphy says that Landis turned up to come into America and was basically saying. He was treating him the same way he was treating him from five years earlier in trading places. Trading places, he was just a kid. Mm-hmm. And yes, he'd had 48 hours, but it was like his second film. Trading place. Was second, so yeah. he was still learning. But Landis was treating him like the kid he was five years ago. Eddie Murphy had become a megastar by the time oh, yeah. he came to come to America. Like, yeah. So he was, he was a bit affronted by... And don't forget, Eddie Murphy wrote this. Yeah, this is his right. story. Yeah, it's a story, yeah. yeah. So he we'll brought come, this. We'll come back to that later. Yeah, we'll come back to that because there's <laughs> something about that as well that doesn't really add up. But this is his show, like. Mm-hmm. This is all his show. And Landis turns up and starts bossing him around. So Landis actually called him a pig of a man. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. in, after the film that he had turned in from this lo- lovable, humorless, humor-filled young actor to this pig of a man that I see in Coming to America. And that's a bit fucking... Yeah, he uses uses the word entourage a few times as well. Like, and again, you know, you kind of think maybe he's exaggerating, but then Charlie Murphy. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) but there's a there's a feast. We'll come back to it maybe when we mention the, you know, the origin of the of the story. Um, There was a few things made public during Mm -hmm. that trial regarding expenses and stuff, which pretty much support Landis's um, viewpoint that the entourage and stuff that was going on behind the scenes was completely out of hand, and this was a massively. restricted time scale for this for filming this movie mm-hmm. like they started shooting six months before release all sorts of night shifts and stuff like and i think they were frequently okay you've got a two-hour break now and they were going to nightclubs in costume and stuff mm-hmm. and then landing back with god knows who or yeah. what and they're meant to be filming through the night and stuff so there definitely was a bit of friction so i mean that that gives us a good background to what was going on because it's uh it obviously doesn't show in the film. No, not at all. Um, no, there's no dip in quality. No, in it. Um, Just Landis does actually say that despite all of that stuff, that it's an absolutely incredible performance. Like, and he he's really never is. shied away from that aspect. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, well, yeah absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, so we talked about it when I said the start. He's in it a lot. Um, it was was it the first time he did multiple characters. Yeah, it was Bar yeah. Saturday Night Live, obviously. But oh, Bar, 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 yeah, first, yeah, first, yeah, first movie was on, yeah, on so, film, yeah. And it's the first um, movie he played a character really full stop. Because if you think about the movies that came prior to that, you know, you know, several journalists and stuff and movie writers have made the point that he's basically playing Eddie Murphy in yeah. every previous movie. Yeah, he's a fast talking, yeah, even a street black yeah. guy who's yeah. the smartest guy in the room, full of white men. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first time he's actually deviating from that at all. So um, there's that as well. Well, just on that, right. This is 1982 to 1988, which is coming to America. Mm-hmm. So Eddie Murphy, between 1982 and 1988, did 48 Hours, Trading Places, Beverly Hills Cop, Golden Child, Beverly Hills Cop 2, and Eddie Murphy Raw. Mm, delirious. That's fucking gold. Like, like, that's that is quite nice that's your yeah. whole childhood yeah. mm-hmm. in that six is, years. That's the, yeah, like, it really up. is. Yeah, like, it's yeah. And I think the Golden Child came next to you. It, it got panned a bit, but it made massive, massive money. Like so, Serious money. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, so the, coming to America, we have Akeem and Semi coming from the fictional country, uh, Zamunda. 
Mm-hmm. He said that like you weren't sure. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck pretty much it's named after yeah. Bob Zamuda, isn't it? That's right. The guy who wrote with Andy Kaufman. Exactly. So yeah. I don't know, know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no good information. Um, and so they, uh, the king is obviously the man himself, James Earl Jones. Jimmy, Jimmy Earl. Jimmy Earl. And uh, so yes, he leaves and goes along, and and, and they arrive. So he he eventually uh, makes his way to when somebody's he, he's having no luck trying to find. Um, potential bride he goes through the audition montage there's a lot of yeah they uh, go to bars and clubs i suppose as a a great character there's a lot of chances (laughs) for both her and anyone himself to dress up uh, in dresses uh till eventually somebody suggests that the best place to go and find a wife would be at church Mm -hmm. uh, which leads us to probably one of the greater scenes uh in the whole entire film mainly because of some of the characters that are introduced now i dare anyone who has ever watched this film before to when it cuts from them on the street to show in the hall where the black the pageant is being mm-hmm. held not to be already pissing yourself laughing <laughs> thinking about what's about to happen <laughs> because i watched it again in a recap for this and hadn't seen it in maybe two years or something and even my wife who isn't the biggest movie file went oh this bit's good isn't it and said it like this is a memory i have that's very very well, he he's in alcohol as well as <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think it's we have a we have the the clip here. So we, we start off with uh, Reverend Brown uh-huh. on stage, um, played by Arsenio. Yes, who is then brilliantly, inter- yeah, absolutely, and then introducing Randy Watson <laughs> and sexual chocolate. He's just he's after just talked in a big diatribe about how amazing basically women asses look, <laughs> yes. but without saying it. And uh, but mixing it with the praise of Jesus, yeah. yeah. Um, he actually calls God the Hugh Hefner on high. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Hugh Hefner, Larry Flint, make take, take, take the picture, but they can't make it. Only Lord God, <laughs> Hugh Hefner on high. <laughs> At that point, I was just gone, like, and that's gone. about 30 seconds in, like, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, th- then what follows is him introducing the greatest singer, yeah. So <laughs> ever to be shown on the, the big screen. I got a special treat for you this evening. A young man that you all know is Joe the policeman from the What's Going Down episode of That's My Mama. <laughs> I want you to put your hands together and welcome him to the stage. Big round of applause for Jackson Heights' own Mr. Randy Watson. Yes, Randy Watson. <laughs> that boy is good. Mm-hmm. Good and terrible. And Reverend Brown. We are for the Reverend. This man's been my Reverend since I was a little boy, and I love him dearly. <laughs> You're a very special man. Reverend Brown. <laughs> Reverend Brown. It feels so lovely to be here tonight. What a beautiful audience. Give yourselves a round of applause. You're so lovely. Everyone's so lovely. You really exaggerate and, um, the uh, lack of applause. Mood, I'd like to give a big round of applause to my band, Sexual Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're actually playing three characters each in that scene if you like because Akeem and Simi are sitting in yeah, the crowd the audience, and then, and then the, barbershop guys, the old yeah. guys in the barbershop are also sitting in the crowd having their own little sort of side argument and then Arsenio's playing Reverend Brown and Eddie is playing um, Randy. Randy Watson Randy Watson and so they uh, what's the name of the song they sing? Uh, I believe the children, I believe the children of the future, of the future. Yeah. What, is, that, is that what the title of the song is? probably not Oh, okay. but, but it is now. <laughs> 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 the, 
<laughs> title of the song is the opening line. It's not the title of the song. What's the chorus? Uh, oh, I'm going to melt blank here. The greatest love of all. Greatest love. There you go. Uh, is the song Randy Watson and Sexual Chocolate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're all like fucking the guys with like mohawks and all. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Playing these big fucking metal guitars. and <laughs> Wearing these blue suits. 20 years old, yeah. Uh, and this is where then he, uh, Akeem, finally sees the, the, the beautiful Lisa that he ends up um trying to trying to win over and uh lisa is of the mcdowell family yep <laughs> who own a fast food restaurant with half a yellow arch yeah um yeah arcs they've got the golden arches we've got the golden arc yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've got the big mag what was it the, the big mick the big mick <laughs> and they don't, the the buns don't have sesame seeds i think is the other difference yeah um yeah so and that's uh john amos yeah, so um, playing the uh, the father-in-law to be, um, brilliantly also. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, uh, Die Hard too. I always think of. Um, he was the older Kunta Kinte in Roots. Mm-hmm. Oh, so when they say Kunta Kinte, you're going, eh. oh, yeah. There's a wee fucking uh, wee whirlwind. We know it there. We yeah. circle, full circle, but mm-hmm. uh, do you, so we the the barbershop is always so. This is where we come into like there's a lot of drunken escapades. Are we um, going to go there now? Why not? There's a okay. lot, of, lot of nights where... Um, Every night? Tonight could be one of those nights too, but a lot of nights <laughs> where the uh, alcohol is consumed and then it's usually Bondi who starts it off. Mm-hmm. Um, usually. I've usually... I've I've witnessed the barbershop scene in, like, Belfast, Dublin... I, I have a very special... Bank, I have a very Grange. special memory of landing late. Like, it was a Sunday. Bondi. And Sunday Bundy's Sunday. The I had landed late and the boys had been in fucking about three, four hours. So I was landing at about seven or eight o'clock. Don't no, know when what you say landing, you mean land at the pub. Pub, of course, yeah, not chapel. And I knew they were well on by what messages I was getting. <laughs> <laughs> now, it didn't matter if your particular football team were playing. We were in the bar on a Sunday, no matter what fucking yeah. happened. So I walked in and couldn't immediately see where they were, so I was like, fuck, they might have went somewhere else. <laughs> So I ordered a drink anyway, and I was sitting chatting with someone at the bar. <laughs> All I could hear from the other side of a bar, which was partitioned, was this scene, which we're about to play out in its entirety, but Bundy's voice, and hearing it through a part, <laughs> and seeing like older guys and younger guys, to be fair, reacting to, who the fuck's that? What the fuck's that? Middle of John Street, Noma. What the fuck is that noise? It was, uh, so this is what we're talking about. This is where you might hear. Um, and if you're about John Street later, you might hear too. You must be out of your goddamn mind. Literally. Joe Lewis, the greatest boxer ever lived. Yeah. I'll be with you boys in a minute. He was bad in Chester Clay. He bad in Sugar Ray. He bad in that. Who that? You, the new boy here. Mike, Mike Tyson looked like a bulldog. He bad in him too. He done whipped Mike Tyson's ass. He whipped all their asses. What about Rocky Marciano? Oh, there it go. <laughs> There they go. Every time I start talking about boxing, a white man got to pull Rocky Marciano out their ass. That's the one. That's the one. Rocky Marciano. Rocky Marciano. Let me tell you something wonderful. Rocky Marciano was good. But compared to Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano ain't shit. He beat Joe Lewis's ass. That's right. He did whoop Joe Lewis' ass. Joe Lewis was 75 years old when he fought. <laughs> I don't know how old he was, but he got an ass whooped. 
Joe Lewis had come out of retirement to fight Rocky Marciano. The man was 76 years old. Joe Lewis always lied about his age. He lied about his age all the time. One time, Frank Sinatra comes out here and sat down in this chair. And I said, Frank, you hang out with Joe Lewis. Just between me and you, how old is Joe Lewis? You know what Frank told me? He said, hey, Joe Lewis, 137 years old. 137 years old. <laughs> oh, man, you ain't never meet no Frank Sinatra. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. Who's next? <laughs> yep. Every word, <laughs> and, with, and with every gap, exactly the same length. Yeah. A one-man show, like doing yeah, it was, all, it the was voices, all the voices. Yeah. All the voices. Yeah. I would love to know if that was written down on paper before they filmed that it scene. Couldn't have been like. Well, I suppose I, it had to be with, with makeup and cotton. You know, yeah, I, don't, I don't know how much idea. of it. Like yeah. how much of it. I'm sure there was definitely bits added on and stuff on the day, but I would dearly love to know how they came up with that idea. Well, considering what you said, and I never knew that that it was six months filming. Mm-hmm. They didn't have time to waste, like. That's no. true. And I'm sure, like, when they... The incredible prosthetics and makeup that are used for these other characters that they play, um, I'm sure once they were in their gear, they had multiple scenes lined up to do because mm-hmm. it probably took four or five hours to get ready. Like, mm. such was the complexity of the makeup and, and stuff. This, yeah, that... I mean, we should point that out. When you watch uh, Coming to America, if you haven't seen it before and you're watching the first time, the barbershop is played by Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall. Uh, and even the white guy is Eddie Murphy. Yeah, the old Jewish so guy. So the prosthetics uh, that you talked about there, I mean, I'm not going to say ahead of their time, but it will, you know, there's no CGI, there's no, no. there's no computer. No. It's, it's Rick all, Baker. It's Rick Baker, yeah, who's yes. Oscar-winning fucking. And I mean, he, you believe Eddie Murphy's that white guy, uh, like, and you genuinely well, believe yeah. he's as old as. Here's you know, a good the, story. Um, they weren't Paramount weren't pushed on. We'll get to the other story about Paramount in the film in a bit, but they weren't pushed on this film in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and what John Landis did in a, in a fucking moment of genius was he got Rick Baker to do up Eddie Murphy as the old Jewish guy and he brought him up to the executive of Paramount and mm-hmm. said, this is Saul. He's going to be one of the guys that's in this Coming to America film we're looking to do. And the executive was like, why, why are you bringing this unknown mm-hmm. Jewish guy? And then he goes, oh, actually, it's, it's Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy starts talking as Eddie Murphy. And the executive was fucking blown away. Right. And yeah. that's what sort of pushed through this film, even though Eddie Murphy was one of the biggest. Yeah, because even if it is the biggest star, they still have to have a lot of trust in them to be able to do. Because but you, they were you they were the very and things those yeah. makeups and getting Rick Baker in. It's not going to be cheap. So yeah, but Landis, like for anybody that hasn't seen the thriller video, yeah, uh, by Michael Jackson, that was directed by John Landis sure, and Rick yeah. Baker done all the makeup for that, which is mm-hmm. just incredible. Sure. And then American Werewolf in London as well. So. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, so he had the history of, of, of the makeup and, and, and well, I don't want to use special effects as a word, but I suppose they were at that point. But yeah. nowadays, when you talk of special effects, you're thinking of CGA. But, uh, no, these are practical, physical effects. Yeah, and that scene, so we have a couple of appearances of the barbershop mm-hmm. trio, if you want, a quartet of the trio. Um, and it's, I mean, each one is, is brilliant. We talked about it earlier on in the... In the, the at the beauty pageant. Yeah. Um, do you want to play that audio? Do we have the audio with that? Here. You have it there. <laughs> it's um, my my particular favourite moment, and it's only 15 seconds long. <laughs> but, <laughs> again, this is in the same scene as we That's just right. heard. Yeah. Yes, Randy Watson. In the yeah. space of five to six minutes, there's three individual moments <laughs> that if any comedy film worth its fucking weight mm-hmm. would be proud to have one of them oh absolutely. and there's three in a row <laughs> and this is at the tail end when boys are pa- they're passing around uh these baskets for people to put donations in and 
uh, what transpires is the three guys are passing amongst each other and uh, the the character at the end, I can't remember what his name is in the film. I can't think. I don't think it ever tells you, to be honest. Like it's, it's, name it's, to but old, it's Arsenio Hall. Arsenio, yeah. Yeah. He, he gets passed and he's eating a chicken wing and he puts the bone into the chicken wing and <laughs> into the basket and he's ready. Yeah. So he thinks it's good. Donation. That can't have been written down. No way. Paper, no way that was no written way. down. Like, but I always thought he said tall black mother. He doesn't. He, he says said, tar black. I, know, I always thought he said tall. Yeah, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, tar, tar black mother. Tar black mother. <laughs> <laughs> actually worse. <laughs> actually worse. Yeah, because he's because he's obviously so dark. But yeah, tar black yeah. mother. Um, that entire scene. I, I like to think that it's they almost you know they realized how the movie was going to be cut together and they wanted to go out with a bang because I think from the moment that he claps eyes on Lisa, there is a bit of a shift in the tone of the movie, I suppose. Everything yeah, up to that point... become a bit of a rom-com. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's true, actually. Everything yeah. up to that point is essentially in a, you know, a group of sketches. You yeah, know, yeah the you story know, only comes into play when yeah. it's a romantic And then it kind yeah. of does... There isn't... The emphasis on the comedy skits, I suppose, is, is minimal from mm. that point onwards. Yeah. It does shift to the... Which is a pity, because, I mean, it was, it was the... the, the such a strong start to a film. It was, uh, but it, like, it needed to, to be fair. And when, this if is you the were, thing. Yeah, if you were reading it as a script, it, you would be going, "All right, this is this is great." Yeah, but you can't you can't hear Eddie Murphy's voice doing the lines, and you yeah. can't hear Arsenio Hall doing the lines. So you're going, "When does the story you know, start?" Or see the makeup? Yeah, yeah. yeah you're, you're if you're visualizing that in black and white and paper, you you can't. No. Yeah. So it was a tough sell if you're yeah. trying to put it into front uh, in front of a producer or, or director or uh, studio executive. So yeah, I you, think Beverly Hills Cop made an absolute bomb which absolutely helped yeah give him a lot of yeah. weight mm-hmm. to push that yeah uh and you have then uh a, f- a film like that i mean we have to you have to we did mention this sort of a bit of, uh, it's impact of black culture but i mean you have this in this is before do the right thing isn't it this is, is this i 80, think there's this do right things 89 i think I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Seven, I think that might have been the oh, was it the year four? But possibly. I mean, if you think of, I mean, I know there was a lot of nowhere near as big. No, no, like, but I think even if the right, right thing was before, it was fucking nowhere near as big. If you think about the the recent sort of hype around Black Panther, for instance, being a mm-hmm. you know a big film for the black community, mm-hmm. and this this was done. Yeah, oh, 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just you know even the African element in that sense of it's, there's actually there a lot of similarities there yeah, with, the, with showing, the African scenes. Yeah, the Afri- they're showing African people in pure wealth. Yeah, know, they yeah. come yeah, yeah, and yeah. fucking they're the ones fucking firing at the rose petals and they're coming to complete squalor in America. Well, it made two hundred and eighty-eight million dollars on a thirty-five million budget. That's like, fucking <laughs> incredible. Like. Yeah, that's unreal. Yeah, and that's that's touching on again like we talked about last week. Nightmare now we're not touching on home video here, like. And we're no. not touching on Europe. No. So we don't know what it made overall. Mm-hmm. But half a billion easy, like. Yeah, because for our generation, it was all video. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you've seen it in cinema, but... No. I no, definitely it was all video. video. Like, 1988, like. Yeah. yeah. No. And uh, and it was because 88, so again, we were always that wee bit behind. So it probably was... The, you're going into 1991 before we would have actually got to see it. Uh, and it was the one that you were sneaking. Yeah, you were. you shouldn't have been watching it. Uh, and uh, the the everybody had seen it. That was the thing. It was like you know. We know you have to sort of ask people. Have they seen something or whatever? There was no asking. Like everybody had seen. Everybody seen it. You know, and it was such a global success that it, uh, I don't think. Or well, Arsenio Hall kind of went on to the 
chat show type thing. I think he had yeah. just got that gig when they were filming that. Like he he was just got the, the chat show turned off for years yeah, and after that. He was replacing Joan Rivers, wasn't it? I think she was mm-hmm. tanking and he was brought in. So, um, and I, I think there's a story about how him and Eddie Murphy actually met, um, which is apparently true. Um, Eddie Murphy apparently said in an interview that there was only like two black comedians, mm-hmm. him and Richard Pryor. Right. And some reporter phoned Arsenio Hall and like told him this. And he went off on some rant on the phone. And then that got back to Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and he apparently then phoned him and was like, just explained it or whatever. And they agreed to meet up and got on like a house on fire. So, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's just something so amazing how things come together that way. It's class. Uh, the I was trying to think, if you go into then, as you say, it changes the tone of the film after mm-hmm. you sort of Lisa is in, invited in. Um, and... So Akeem, Akeem tries to get a job, in, or in, successfully gets a job, in the McDonald's rip-off restaurant that her yeah. Lisa's dad owns, so he can be close to her, I suppose, and try to interact with her. Yeah. Lisa, and, and Sammy's not happy. Yeah. He has to work. He's badly in need of a manicure. I think he says at one point while he's washing windows. Um, but Lisa is already in a relationship. Well, that's what I want to come to. So we've got to get to, <laughs> we've got to, get to the main man. So Daryl. Daryl uh, Jenks. Daryl yeah. Jenks, who is of the Soul Glow dynasty. You heard the <laughs> intro music there at the start. Yeah. Uh, Soul Glow is uh, a form of beauty product or hair product that's put in um, to give the natural shine of the hair. Um, mainly, I presume, used for Afro type hair. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, it was aimed at the black community. Yeah. It's almost but, like a permed Afro, really. Yeah, yeah but it was, the, it was the stuff that gave the sheen in it. But yeah. the, the end joke, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's an actual product, but the product like that obviously was quite oily and greasy because that was the joke of it. Um, Jerry Curl, I think it was called. Jerry Curl. J H E R A. I think that was the first name of the hairdresser that the, developed the, the it or something. Yeah. So this is when this is they're, they're taking it in Soul Glow. So Daryl is, is part of the Soul Glow dynasty and is going to be. So he's quite wealthy. So obviously the father-in-law loves him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's played by Eric LaSalle, mm-hmm. who then went on to ER. 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 Uh, and again, plays it perfectly because he has he to does. be so serious, has to be so... You have to dislike him, mm-hmm. what you do, because he's in a relationship with Lisa and you want Akeem in there. Um <laughs> the family <laughs> when the family appear <laughs> even that that visual always sticks to me when the family get up off the sofa and the three <laughs> three yep. red patches where the head was yep. um but yeah so he's a Daryl's a sneaky cunt he's the one that uh he's miserable with money doesn't want to part with it he's yeah. just not a good person and uh thankfully uh lisa starts to see that but it takes a while he starts taking credit for things that fucking he does akeem's doing <laughs> akeem puts a roll of hundreds into the donation basket at the Black Awareness Rally and right. Daryl takes the credit for it when Lisa asks them about it. Um, yeah, he doesn't deny it. Just sort of, yeah. mm-hmm. The relationship between him and Cleo, Lisa's father, um, is brilliant, I think, because like Cleo's an asshole, really. Like It's coming from a good place. And yeah, that, he, wants he, he just wants the best for, for his yeah. daughter. And there's no harm in him, in a way, yeah. but he's just chasing the richest well, I thought guy was available. A, I thought, well, I thought that was a genius of it, because he kind of had what would have been stereotypically known as a white attitude. Yes. You know, he was that yeah. very dominant white father coming. You know, yeah. And that's what just portraying, and that's what I loved about the film, was there is no difference. You know no. I mean? And that's what the film well, did. He, he showed, mentions like, yeah. quite a few times that they've came from... Yeah, poverty nothing, yeah. yeah and and they don't want their daughter to have to work as hard as they had to work to get where they are but they're a, a pretty well-off family living in a pretty nice house and you know but what you're being sort of transposed with that is that a king comes from a kingdom yeah. <laughs> so but everything like you said earlier everything is portrayed 
from a, an African American perspective, is really positive, Absolutely. except for the slum. Yes. So it's all there. Absolutely. Every yeah. walk and facet of life is there, but you forget that it's about black people. Yeah, and that's Absolutely. amazing. Like that's, I, that's, I've, yeah. I didn't really consciously think about that until a few years ago. Yeah, it's one of the very first films that that, that did that. Because no matter what, even when you went to. Beverly Hills Cop. It was all about a black man being out of place and the white yeah, Beverly yeah. Hills. You know, even if you know, um, it was this one was a sort of an actual quite a cultural one, if you want to call it. That. Yeah, yeah. Previously, the sort of black black exploitation sort of films and all that sort of stuff. There wasn't there wasn't a lot of black films in that. No, sense. like ten years earlier, like outside of black exploitation, you know, there wasn't really any main roles for African American actors. So certainly, Poitier had them all. That was a yeah. Certainly, <laughs> Potter fucking loved them. Uh, so yes, I think this definitely did. It it, it broke a lot of uh, it broke a lot of molds. Um, well, you said Richard Pryor's Richard Pryor was pretty big, like. but he, he big, needed but to have again, a Gene Wilder. He, he, or he still needed had to, have to be, a, yeah. He still had to be part of yeah. a, you know, and, and he wasn't allowed to be the lead in Blazing Saddles. Yeah, even um, he wrote it. Even Lethal Weapon, they still had to have that. Yeah, it had, had to, to be have that mix. But this was sort of so standalone. Um, with a white director, you know, which mm-hmm. was yeah, um, yeah. Those ex- other examples too. They're they're leads or co-leads, but it's a mainly white cast yeah, as well. Yeah. Like you know. So. Um, there's no black awareness beauty pageant at this <laughs> to, to their chagrin <laughs> to their detriment uh, yeah so as it goes on um, you start to see then things come into play uh, Akeem starts to shine a wee bit more in Lisa's eyes um, by doing more naturally good things because he's just a good guy well, one of the standout ones is the attempted armed robbery um, of McDowell's fast food place um, where Akeem is coming to the rescue of a guy with a shotgun who turns out to be Samuel Jackson mm-hmm. before Samuel Jackson was Samuel Jackson but he was Samuel Jackson but he was Samuel Jackson <laughs> um, a very uh, short cameo from him or just a short part uh, but Akeem steps up and Daryl the rat fucking hides so that's another sort of hint towards uh, the cowardice of him but it's a uh, I'm trying to think of Samuel Jackson's line it was something like uh, what are you talking about motherfucker or something like that. they actually said motherfucker mm-hmm. um, which again when it was aired on ITV I don't know what it actually was changed I'd love to actually yeah. get those are those ever about like those censored they yeah. have to be somewhere I think, says, be. I think he says who's this motherfucker like because I think Akeem has been flat out with the Nietzsche quotes just immediately prior to this <laughs> scene so he speaks to them in very you know very correct English I suppose not street language like um, and he, I don't think he actually understands what he said to him. <laughs> so he says something like, who's this motherfucker? What's this motherfucker saying? Yeah. Um, I think Isn't that asshole? Who's this motherfucking asshole? Maybe, we're going to take a look. We'll have to check that. How long do we see that? Um, check the internet. Check the internet. Move, I'll blow your fucking head off. What are you looking at, buddy? Darrell's having the trump. Come on! Stop stalling! That's long enough. Come on! Yeah. And the king Don't is, stall uh, me! All of it! Going to attack him with a fucking broom shaft. No. Come on, come on! Excuse me for a moment. 
think we'll go for bad asshole or motherfucker. It would be wise for you to put the weapon down. Who the fuck is this asshole? Oh, we have a winner. Please refrain from using any further obscenities in the presence of these people. What? <laughs> I've warned you. I'll be forced what? to thrash you. Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Job done. So, yeah, Samuel Jackson appears in it, and uh, I can't do it. <laughs> Semi with the. What was it baboon's butt or some fucking? <laughs> he calls him a diseased rhinoceros puzzle. I think <laughs> that <laughs> particular scene. Oh, the baboons when they're fighting. Yeah. In the, oh, yeah, back right, in, okay, yeah, yes. in the uh, Yeah. So that's uh, was a very early role. I mean, you're talking '88, so that's before Jungle Fever, even for Samuel Jackson. So well, he was in Do the Right Thing as well. Uh, Remember, he's the radio DJ. That's right. So was that? Yeah. So that's all in the space of that time. That's just before he 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 made it very big then. Uh, so do we? I mean, we're coming to the tail end. We, obviously, I don't want to. We, we talked to us before about spoilers. Um, Nineteen eighty nine. Do the right thing. That's the right year after. Okay. Year after. So yeah, I mean, yeah, do the right thing. Maybe got made because of coming to America. Fuck. <laughs> uh, oh, Spike Jones would he hit that? Oh, I was going to say Eddie Murphy. Spike Jones. Uh, Spike Jones. Spike, Spike Jones. Not Spike Lee. Spike Jones. Fuck me. Spike Jones one more. Spike Jones ripping. <laughs> Why are you upset, Spike Jones? <laughs> and they're uh, the rat laid. <laughs> <laughs> so as the film goes on, we, we sort of see the struggle of, uh, as, as you say, Bondi, the sort of Hollywood romantic thing comes into play, but mm-hmm. still a couple of sort of standout scenes as we go along. Um, and just on that, like, those scenes are, are fine as well. Like, this yeah, is, yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. In essence, this is a comedy, and that's the reason why we love it. Like, But the, uh, it's, it's not something that's uh, not been done before, no. sort of, you know, with asshole boyfriend meets nice guy and yeah. falls for him like but it's done quite well you know yeah. he's he's easy to talk to and i think that's f- quite well written to be honest and um it also sort of highlighted a few sort of women's uh issues in that sense about the you know the, the over domineering father forcing the, the the daughter to to do something she didn't want to do and yeah that idea that your your marriage was selected so yeah, because like, it was happening in Africa and it was happening in America. That's yeah. what they were sort of showing out that it didn't really yeah. matter. But it was more arranged maybe in, in, yeah. in Africa. But in developed countries in 1988 that probably shouldn't be yeah. that common. And they literally announced Daryl and Lisa's engagement <laughs> without talking to Lisa. Yeah, before Lisa's been asked, yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's the famous, they have a party uh, at the house and uh, uh, Cleo, the father-in-law, announces that Daryl has asked to have Lisa's hand in marriage and Lisa has no fucking clue. Yeah. So the reaction then, so obviously Akeem's coming. In that scene as well, just just the reverend. You know, I know where you're going with this. Do you know where I'm going? I know you know where you're going with this, yeah. Do you know who's in that fucking scene? When Reverend Brown's sitting talking to Lisa, there's a white guy with a beard standing beside them. And I didn't know this to this week. And I know we did Nightmare on Elm Street, but my favourite horror film was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, written and directed by Toby Hooper. He's fucking standing beside him. Get out. He's standing right there. Yep. Best friends of John Lannis or something. Right. And it's Obviously like rarely man. talked about and you're going... Just randomly standing. Hold on a minute, but he's like 80s Toby Hooper. <laughs> hair all fucked up and the big beard and all. And piano, piano tie. Hi, why? <laughs> it never occurred to me. Like, why would that white boy be standing there? <laughs> out of... And you don't see a white face. In the no, right, right. And he's just standing there. One stands out. And I was, I was... Like, I went through all these trivia bits and I was like, I'm going to know all these. What the fuck, Toby? Um. What? <laughs> Toby Hooper, man. Stand in the middle of the scene. That's know. weird how that he doesn't speak. Or not. I know, <laughs> just stand there. But it's so weird how you don't notice. Like if that was done in reverse, I don't know if you had a 
house party and there was 19 white people there and there was one black guy would you notice it more maybe i don't know but I probably would it's not out of racist just of course you'd be like who who would he be with yeah but why is this guy it's just so random but he's with he's with reverend brown he's not not with anybody but it's like landis is daring you to notice yeah uh, yeah bang on he's standing out a mile yeah absolutely maybe what still don't notice is that like in 33 years time in tyrone some boy's gonna figure out that was toby hoover yeah yeah there's so many little, there's so many little <laughs> random things with this movie. Like, did you mention Cuba Gooding Jr.'s the yeah, boy, he's boy the guy getting the haircut? Yeah. That's his first film, yeah. isn't it? And one of the things I find hilarious about that scene is the scissors at no point go within six inches of his head, <laughs> even though he's continuously cutting. He's, he's covering. Yep. And there's a there's a really if you watch closely, there's a scene where you know you can see Julius reflected in the mirror, but it's obviously not Eddie Murphy made up as Julius. Yeah, it's, it's some guy. random guy they got mm-hmm. who looks. Slightly like him, and it's slight, like it's really, really bad. Like, yeah, it's like, uh, remember when uh, Tam Brown was cutting your hair and the horse racing was on? (laughs) Very similar to that. You weren't getting a fucking lick of hair cut because he wasn't staring at you. Dangerous, no, uh, that's slanderous, certainly, Mr. Mom. Uh, every time, oh, well, that's just true. Back at Tyler, not there, 445. I'm talking about don't get your hair cut between one and five. No, no, no. Can't well. <laughs> right. So we have them then. Uh, I'm trying to think. Now. So yes, well, I, the one thing I always love, we nods. And obviously there was a John Landis nod then. So they they go along. After Sammy pretended to be uh, the actual prince to Lisa's sister in order to try and get her. Uh, Lisa's sister, was she, I'm trying to think, is she Cosby show? No? Mm, I don't think no, so. No, I don't think no. so. What? There was something she was in. I can't remember. She was in the 80s that I always watched. It was a TV show. Um, but she yeah, looks familiar, all right. But she was... Uh, so, yes, yeah, she has been told by Sammy um, that he is actually the prince and she's madly in love. Uh, and it turns out, obviously, it's not the case. But when they're walking away and uh, when Sammy's allowance has been taken off him by Akeem, they see two old homeless men mm-hmm. sleeping on the side of the road and they are the two... Uh, rich billionaires or millionaires from trading places, which I always thought was a a lovely nod. Um, was it Mortimer and Mortimer no. And Randall? No, there? Randall and Mortimer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mortimer. Randall and Mortimer. Yeah, yeah. Mortimer, yeah. We're, we're but he says Mortimer, we're back. Yeah, he shows him the money. I thought you were going to do the trading thing. <laughs> Gone to no. it. No. <laughs> Later on, uh, yeah, it's, it's at that point in the in the movie that like Akeem and Lisa, are, you can kind of sense that they're starting to fall for each other. Yeah, you know, and then. It goes back to this. There's the guy he meets at um, the basketball game. So there's a scene where they double date. Um, and Akeem's invited along with the sister because uh, Lisa and uh, Daryl are still together. And he's, he's at a basketball game and he hasn't a clue what's going on. But he, um, at halftime, he emerges from the restroom and there's two guys following him looking for a picture. And like they're basically curtsying and bowing and saying this is the most amazing moment of their lives. And they bump into Lisa and Daryl at this point, and it's just they it's just a man I met in the restroom, you know. Um but it's another example, and they actually say these words that every time you meet somebody he just seems to have this effect on people. Yeah. Obviously with Randall and Mortimer, he just give them ten grand or something, yeah. so that would have that effect on most people. But mm. he just seems to there's something infectious about him, I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and she doesn't know what it is, and she's trying to get to the reason. And and the good thing is the audience, obviously, we all know what it is. Yeah, it's we're on it. Like, yeah. Um so to the point then uh, it becomes uh the call for the, the the parents to come the call for 
Well, I think they come. What what triggers that is uh, semi calls for money, doesn't it? Semi goes to send a telegram. To <laughs> I always love that the telegram. Yeah. How much you gonna yeah. want? How much do you want? She's completely. <laughs> teller. Yeah, teller, she yeah. thinks he's mental basically, yeah. and as <laughs> being completely sarcastic yeah. with him, she's goading him to ask for more money, <laughs> and he thinks it's a serious conversation. Like, yeah, what so is it? He asked for he goes to ask three hundred thousand at the start, and she says like, you know, when you, round sure up that's enough. Yeah, you know, when it round up the cool house, yeah, and he goes too much, and she goes nah. With a real sarky New York fucking face in her. Yeah. But it works perfectly. She, works perfectly. She's so. like the, she's the third, I think, non-black speaking part in it, according to Landis. Okay. There's a taxi driver at the start who takes That's him right, from yeah. the airport. He's a typical Queens kind of, mm-hmm, he says mm-hmm. a couple of lines about taking them to Manhattan because they're rich yeah. or something like that. But there's the, there's a single line at the very end as well. Again, without giving anything away, but the conversation on the subway where they're basically airing yes. things out, they're, oh, they're airing yes, things out right. and yeah. there's a bystander on the subway who chips in with a line as well. So I think yeah. that probably counts as well. So, um, so yeah, so the parents have to come then because they've been got a, a message from Sammy to say... Yeah, and they're wondering what the need, fuck's going on. Why money. does he need yeah, more money? We're in, we're in a desperate Plus, they've been given a deadline of 40 days. That was the original He's thing. got 40 days yeah. Yeah, and so then he's got to come back and marry the... Royal he's got to marry the bride they have set up for him. Mm-hmm. But... Um, so I think we have a clip here of uh, Akeem's father, played by James Earl Jones, appearing. Uh, if it's not the first scene, there's they appear in New York as in the barbershop, yeah. I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's when Sammy opens the door to them and realizes there. Your Majesty, <laughs> what are you doing here? I received your telegram. What is Akeem? What a voice! Oh. Mm-hmm. He went out. So how is your flight? Comfortable, I trust? Your only job was to look after Akeem. How could you let him come to such a pass? Akeem will not listen to me. He's gone quite mad, Your Majesty. Semi, you have disgraced yourself and you must be punished. You will confine yourself to our royal suite at the Waldorf Astoria. (laughs) And see that he puts on some decent attire. And I want you to bathe him thoroughly. <laughs> and the girl's like, yeah. Yeah, at that point he smiles I think, and then tries to suppress it. <laughs> the smile. Oh, thank you, Your Majesty. <laughs> <laughs> Serious punishment there. Yeah. Um, but James Earl Jones and the Queen are the actual voice of the King and Queen yeah, Lanky. King and Queen Lanky, yeah. Which was after? Yeah, it was after, 94, yeah, 94, that was. 94, sorry, yeah. I think it was 94, 94 yeah. yeah. So it was a good bit after, yeah. Um, yeah, so another... So they suit the, the role, Absolutely. physically and... Yeah. Um, like the scene immediately prior to that, they enter the barbershop, which is underneath these, <laughs> these tenement flats that they're renting, and the, the whole party comes in with the rose bearers, and, like, <laughs> there's nobody in the shop. No. <laughs> but the, the, their reaction is so understated again. It cracks a little joke. What is it, um... You're a little late for the Christmas pageant, and then they all burst out laughing. And he just he starts wiping down the chair, and he goes, "I'm the king of Zamunda." And he goes, "That's okay. Chair two will be free in a minute." <laughs> <laughs> Nobody there. <laughs> I think he's there for a haircut, like over here. Uh, yeah. So I mean, and then it comes to the well, the end. I mean, uh, like all decent rom coms will do, it comes to its its uh, final conclusion. Um, Daryl gets his comeuppance and. Uh, Everybody seems to be happy and all that crack. We've talked a wee bit about sort of the the aftermath and and what followed from it. We know, obviously, in regards to Eddie Murphy, it's uh, 
I was going to say it went on to bigger and better, but realistically, if Beverly Hills Cop 2 had already this been done... This is him at the height of his powers. This is when they started giving him free reign and everything yeah. went the fuck. It kind of yeah. went downhill until, I think, box office-wise, and I don't know about critically, but until maybe Nutty Professor, which is what... Yeah, box office-wise, like, definitely yeah. between Coming to America and that... Uh, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a solid bet. Yeah, so what are you talking about? What were the films in, in that Heart period? Of Heart of Nights. Heart of Nights. Boomerang. Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah. Boomerang. Jesus, Which has boomerang. a couple of amazing scenes. Boomerang yeah. does, but the entire movie is a bit of a shit show. <laughs> like one night. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be no pussy whip. Whip that pussy. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> See you, boy. Like, <laughs> All the time. I think of that fucking line. So I'm like, Don't be uh, no pussy whip. Whip that pussy. I think the... Um, do you know the parents... That guy's wife? Who... Uh-huh. He shags in the toilet in the middle of the dinner party. Mm-hmm. I think that's the old lady who's on the subway who he gives the earrings oh, to at the right, end of okay. Coming to America. That's very similar, to be fair. Um, that could says, be her. She offers to marry him if Lisa doesn't agree, I think, uh-huh. and he hands her the $500,000 earrings <laughs> as the doors close. Uh, so, yes, I mean, after that you have, uh, and Landis, we said as well, I mean, didn't do much really until, no. um, until you're talking... A lot of flops, like yeah, Beverly Hills Cop three, and then really, did he do anything there? Let's be honest. He's just a talking head now. He just appears and things, and yeah, he's just milking. He, he does dine out a lot on it. Um, he he has won uh, nineteen eighty seven. He got the Golden Raspberry for worst director. Oh, he got it for ninety five for Beverly Hills Cop three as well. <laughs> which is fair enough because that was pure Wally's yeah, fucking dung. That's um, a bizarre. Very strange. Third arc in a good Very series. Strange. like Yeah. But the second one's brilliant. Like the second one's great. The second um, one's just a fucking great action film laced yeah. with some mighty lines. Usually like. when they pump out a sequel to something like that, it's it's a pure money-making exercise mm-hmm. and it's pure keek, but it's fucking, I think it's better, actually. Ah, it's a great film. Um, He's done nothing, really, since then. He did a, a remember the Blues Brothers? Oh, 2000? 2000. Did he, he do that? He co-wrote it with Dan Aykroyd. Oh, it's a piece of dung. With John uh, Goodman? Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. Um, you have then everything else has been pretty shit. Didn't Dan Aykroyd um, originally write the part of Winston and Ghostbusters for Eddie Murphy? Mm-hmm. And then it right. was some sort of a problem, scheduling conflict or something came up. But um, I read that somewhere. I think that that was his. Um, that's what he had in mind when he wrote the part. They uh, definitely would have needed to have fleshed out it. Winston a bit more if yeah. Eddie Murphy was going to be in it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can yeah. you imagine if Eddie Murphy's and Ghostbusters? Man? Murphy and Murray together. <laughs> Fuck me. Yeah, and then, I mean, we talked about Arsenio. He went on to uh, sort of chat show fame. Um, very little else. Very little else after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which the, is a shame, too, because he's a, he's a great comedian. He's a good actor. Oh, he's fantastic. fantastic. Um, just for Reverend Brown alone. <laughs> uh, you have then, I mean, not, there's nobody really else. James Earl Jones. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we talked about Lion King and stuff together. So the the legacy afterwards was all Murphy. Really, it was the only one that sort of came out, and, and with then. and with good reason. To yeah, be, to be fair, like. Uh, so we need to talk about now 2019 and mm-hmm. Common to America too. Yep. Yeah. Is it actually definitely happening? Is it's it? basically I've finished. Se- I've seen set pictures, like and stuff. Yeah, they've including f- Reverend Brown. Oh. oh yeah, it's all there. Lord, I don't know. Now, uh, again, the story could be complete pish, but as long as there's a few skits where they're just all they have to do is a film full of yeah. skits of them, just not because uh, that's that's the thing about watching them as well. You know, it's so obvious they're having fun. Yeah, it's contagious. Uh-huh. You know, there's and it's I think that that applies to watching bands and stuff as well. Sometimes when they're going buck mad on the stage or they're just. 
it's clearly obvious they're having fun. Mm-hmm. I think that rubs off on whoever's watching as well, you know. And they are clearly well, having a fucking yeah. ball with those scenes. So. Uh, Wesley Snipes, I, th- I believe, has Snesley joined. Webbs. Snesley's in it. Snesley's in it. Did we uh, touch that? Why he's called Snesley? No. Did you ever tell us where? Snesley Wipes. Uh, no, I haven't heard us story. Somebody missed said his name uh-huh. when we were traveling home from playing one night. And misheard us what we said and went, what, Snesley, what? And I went, no, where's the Snipes? And they went, all right. And I went, Snesley Wipes, though. <laughs> Snesley Wipes would be a fucking great name. So I tweeted Wesley Snipes <laughs> about 15 times, <laughs> asking him, would he not consider changing his name to Snesley Wipes? And that he blocked me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's his own account, because it happened after he committed prison for his tax evasion. Mm-hmm. And he was doing this whole new, this is Wesley, back on, back on the streets. I'm going to be on Twitter and, and I hit him with the Snesley Wipes every and he blocked time, me. So every time you were full drunk, you just sent Wesley Snipes a message saying... Sober, drunk, <laughs> morning, change your name at, to Snesley at chapel, Wipes. whatever, I was sending him... Well, that is quite a fucking claim to fame. You've been blocked by fucking... I, I'm blocked by Wesley him Snipes. and Paul Pogba. Wild blocked. Wild blocked. Wild blocked. Uh, that's a fucking podcast on its own. Um, let's, let's list out the people you've been blocked. or want Oh, and Mark Romanic. Mark Romanic blocked me as well. Because I said one of his pictures was shit. <laughs> it wrote under it and he didn't even like respond. He just blocked me. I'm just flat out giving abuse. It was shit though. It was like a doll in a window. And I was like, you're Mark Romanic, man. You're better than that. Yeah, Fuck up. At least you're fucking honest about it. But I mean, Wesley didn't even give me any. There was Wesley no love back no at love all. And, he didn't didn't. Even, and he's in that Dolomite film, Wesley Snipes is the best thing in it. Yeah, he's really He's good. fucking incredible. There's an unbelievable amount of swearing in that movie as well, by the way. Just to, I think we touched on that earlier. Dolomite. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. off the yeah. charts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so if you're that offends you, please avoid. Um, but yeah, like... Fuck, I, if you're offended, you're not listening to this podcast. Well, you? that's it. Mm. But I, that's one of the things, just to go back again, like the contemporary reviews of this were, were pretty bad. Uh, most people seemed to just think he was going to, you know, play Eddie Murphy in every single movie that he ever did. Mm. And loads of the reviews commented on Eddie Murphy being tamed and this, you know, this crackerjack electric comedian was being, you know, curtailed by this role and stuff. And like, Jesus I don't know, Shane's I'm, pretty sure yeah, really more, I'm pretty sure there's more swearing in it than any of the previous movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't really see that point. Like, and, like press screenings and stuff were cancelled due to negative reaction and stuff. And then it... That's right. Went on and made an absolute fortune. So um, it's it's... A bit of similarity there to the Dolomite story where, you know, yeah. they're not too sure how it's, something's going to test, but, you know, the people came out in their droves. And That's what they came and said, and, and, and it, it translated. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the money it issues, people with and people without. Uh, it translated to here, it translated to Ireland, it translated, you know, it didn't matter where it was. It yeah. was. And funny's funny. Funny's funny, but as we touched on earlier, there was a court case. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you want to take this? Um, I'll start it and you yeah. can... Right, so Eddie Murphy turns up to Paramount Studios with this original story. Everything here is in quotation marks. Um, <laughs> an original story. Quotes, um, but what transpired was a gentleman called Art Bouchot had wrote a screenplay which he had brought to Paramount. Now, okay, tenuous enough link. But Eddie Murphy was attached to star and John Landis was attached to direct. And it was about a prince coming to America to find his bride. It was tossed to the side two years before Eddie Murphy handed in his script mm. about a prince coming to America to find his bride, with him attached to star and John Lance attached to direct. Then, yeah, then 
lawsuits to beat the band. There's actually an incredible moment in an interview that's recently surfaced with Eddie and Arsenio that was done during the filming, during a break, and the very first question, and I think it's completely innocent, is uh, where did you get the idea for this story? <laughs> and Arsenio's reaction, just look it up, he just kind of puts his head down and he just points at Eddie Murphy, very much in a, I ain't touching that with a fucking barge mm-hmm. pole yep. type of way. But the case went on for years. And right. Paramount appealed. And this is one of the first cases of the legend that's known as Hollywood Math came into play, where they tried to make the argument that the movie didn't turn a profit. Right. <laughs> 35 million budget, and it made 288 million. <laughs> and that's where all the stuff was dragged up about. Um, my math isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> but. But. Yeah. yeah we can that's tell a profit. And uh, that's where all the stuff where Eddie Murphy's um, lavish needs w- was dragged through the courts. Right, okay. That he had a valet and a personal trainer and $5,000 a week living expenses. But the best one of the whole lot, to me, is that there was a $245 bill for a single McDonald's breakfast. <laughs> that's like, Trumpian, like. It's how big is your entourage mm-hmm. to spend that on one McDonald's breakfast in 1988? Yeah, and that's like it. how much is an egg movie muffin in that's, 1988? That, that's, him that, walk, uh, that's him walking into McDonald's going, I'm buying everybody. Of, yeah, this. what they said was the budget was this, yes, 35 to 38 million, but we had to spend this on Eddie Murphy and everything else. <laughs> so that they were trying to like fudge the facts was they spent 250 plus million on <laughs> Eddie Murphy. Buying McDonald's. And then 38 million on the budget for the film. <laughs> you're like... No, you nah. didn't. But nah. they appealed and they appealed and they appealed and then it eventually was settled like years later, 95, I think maybe. Out of the court finally finished and your man, they reckon he got about five million out of it. Like, so um, like it, it was bang to rights. Like, he, they, were, they were caught out big time. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. But even to this day, the biography of Eddie Murphy that I was watching, uh, everyone involved just says Eddie Murphy turned up. And the reason he wrote the story as the story is it's about him. As a celebrity trying to find an honest woman, it's really difficult. Mm-hmm. Much like a prince turning up somewhere, you're going to get a lot of hangers on and you're not going to get an honest woman or the person you really want. That, yeah. But it's not, not it's stop. fucking yeah. way, yeah. no, it's no too, way, it's man. Close, like, yeah. It's literally, uh, not word for word because the guy wrote a different script, but the story seems to be yeah, like uh, Okay, so that's brought us to the end. Um, we've... Uh, We've had our second guest and it's succeeded, and we haven't um, hit him with anything, or he hasn't hit us. And <laughs> no, yeah, we yeah. haven't segued into any Holly weird conspiracies or anything, which <coughs> was always a risk. That's a whole, that's a, that's a whole that's separate a, podcast the, by itself. Th- this steam train can fucking go off the rails <laughs> real fast. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I don't think you've been here as kept us on the fucking rails. Actually, it's yeah, no. Uh, so thank you very much for coming along. No problem. We enjoyed it, and I uh, we will. I will definitely encourage everybody to, to, to rewatch Coming to America. Do. Um, we will maybe do a, a, a gathering, a get together for the premiere of uh, Coming to America 2. Oh, fuck. Yeah. I thought you were going to say we we're going to get a get together all at once in the DR. And do it like a it? podcast? Can you imagine <laughs> the ship of that? A live podcast would yeah. be, yeah. You should just invite everybody to a, sc- a screening of it and, talk a screen of that movie and, it. and just record it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chinese. We've had uh, <laughs> there's a uh, just an honor I'll mention to him by the way because like out of all the people that have asked me to perform that uh, skit over the years, yeah. he ninety five percent of them were him. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, do I think the he game was Bundy. there that time. Do the game Bundy. Was on like, the other side geez. of the bar where I couldn't see anyone but heard them. I think he was definitely yeah. an instigator. 
Uh, yeah, so uh, thank you very much uh, to Mr. Bundy, Colin Cairns, and uh, thank Pleasure. you to Ronan Mullen. You're absolutely welcome. <laughs> was that too sexy? That was far too sexy. <laughs> I think something moved down there. With a room of fucking three men in it, that was yeah. way too sexy. <laughs> way too sexy and a lot of sweat going on here now. It's time to get, time to get down to the real reason why we got this boy up in Dublin. Yo. Get the camera out. Right, thank you very much, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, and go and watch Coming to America. Good luck. Bye.